This is Shelby Young, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 124 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, March 20th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome Crystal Dynamics game designer Brian Wagner on to discuss his career in gaming, both in working at Crystal Dynamics and with major billion-dollar IPs like the Avengers. Elden Ring continues to sell gangbusters with 12 million units sold, ID at Xbox had a showcase, and consistent turmoil among Xbox-adjacent studios gains even more attention in this week's news. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, two names on the docket. The first words of kindness is headed to Mr. Joanna Dark, who is constantly offering positivity to people, developers and gamers alike, over on his Twitter feed. Joanna Dark, I appreciate you, man. Uh, Always being kind and good to people. That's awesome. Uh, And the second words of kindness go to my guest for this episode, a name in the gaming industry who I've been following for some time now, Mr. Brian Wagner. Brian, how are you, sir? Great. How are you? I am ecstatic to have you on. Uh, I have so many questions for you, ranging from uh, your current Marvel Games projects to your gaming history and how you got into the industry. Uh, I think it's only fair that we let listeners know uh, where you are now and then kind of look at your journey along the way. Currently, you are a game designer working at Crystal Dynamics uh, and focusing on the Marvel's Avengers property. Yes, correct. Uh, When did you first enter the gaming industry? Oh, geez. Um, Well, getting into the game industry i think it was 2014 or maybe early 2015 no Mm -hmm. early 2015 um when i got my first official big boy game design job um i had i got my first actual job in the industry in 2014 uh working at marvel in their games group um and then i had spent a couple years before that um going back to school for a game design degree at Full Sail University. So I don't know. I don't know which one of those actually uh, means I was officially in the industry. But that's, well, was that that's, something – did you always want to be in game design? Was that something that you were always pursuing? Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, I um, – and this is something I talk about a lot when I go to like talk to students and stuff like that. When I graduated from college in – the early 2000s, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Hell, when I went to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I was like okay-ish with computer stuff, um, but I didn't know what that meant. Um, and at that point, like game design wasn't a thing. Like people who made games were either artists who then decided how to design their game, or programmers who decided how to design their game. Um, design as an, as like its own discipline wasn't really a thing that at least schools taught um, you had to have some other way into the industry first. And I was e- neither talented enough as an artist because um, I have zero talent as an artist or um, had the uh, 
proclivity for um, any sort of software engineering to go either of those routes. And so my my best friend in college, um, roommate I had for a while, and he ended up being the best man, best man at my wedding, was going to school for computer art mm-hmm. uh, at the same school I went to. And he knew exactly what he wanted to do. Like he wanted to make you know, art for video games. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's crazy talented and he's now an art director on Fortnite. So, um, I was able to leverage kind of his experience over time and kind of figure out how to get there eventually. Cause I, when I graduated from college the first time I went to it, it audit, which is as horrible as it sounds. Um, but it was, there was a need for it. Um, mm-hmm. and it was kind of interesting. I got to be a white hat hacker for a bit and do some cool social engineering stuff and it ended up just being another boring corporate job that I had no pa- passion for. So mm-hmm. about 10 years into that, I just realized like I'd just gotten laid off and I'm like, well, time to find another audit job. And I'm like, I just, I don't want to, like, I hate it. Like I just can't. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to kind of take some time, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, took a look at different college programs, talked to my buddy Maury about um, kind of opportunities mm-hmm. and plan my trajectory from there. Um, and so I went back to school Um and use my uh, ability as a student uh, to find internships, leverage an internship, got into the industry. That's a journey for sure. sure. For sure. (laughs) What's funny about it to me is that your credits include some of the biggest franchises around from Madden to, to Marvel games and whatnot. And you weren't sure what you wanted to do. And that's, yeah. that's to me is just is wild when you think of the franchises that you've had impact lucky. on. I've been so lucky. That's <laughs> really what it is. So tell me about that luck then, because some people would argue, you know, you make your own luck and then others would say it's just who you know. Uh, for you to land, I think you said a few minutes ago that, that your first kind of like small gig in 2014 was with Marvel. Yeah. That, how does that happen? So <laughs> this is, again, I'm going to say it's luck. People are going to say that it's not, but I'm going to tell you that it's luck because I was feeling really depressed. Um, and I had been, and I'd gone through my first year of like a three year degree, um, a full sale online degree program for game design. Um, and like, I knew that like, you don't get anywhere in this industry unless you have connections, right? And the best way that you can start to make connections is to leverage the fact that, Hey, I'm a student, I'm going to apply for internships. So I had applied for a bunch of different internships at big name studios, Blizzard, you know, other places and rejection, 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 rejection. And, and I was just like, this sucks. I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe next year. And then I saw, I don't even know how I, how I saw his tweet. Um, a guy named Chris Baker, who at the time was, uh, working at Marvel and the games group. I know Chris, I know Chris, I know him through player one podcast. Yep. So he he tweeted (laughs) out and I, I, I wasn't following him at the time. So I must've, someone must've retweeted it and I saw it that um said that he was looking for interns summer interns at marvel marvel in the games group and i'm like well shit i'm like all right shoot your shot so i did and i sent him my resume and kind of gave him my my spiel like i did here and then he said great let's let's talk and i said okay he goes when are you free for a phone interview and i knew that he was most of marvel games is is based out of their their uh burbank location on the west Mm -hmm. coast but he had just moved um to his then fiance now wife um, was lived in New York city. And so he was, he got a transfer to the, to Marvel's home office in, in downtown New York city in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, okay, well, when can we um, do a phone interview? And I said, 
do you mind if I do this in person? And at the time I was living in Cleveland, which mm-hmm. is like, it's an eight hour drive. It's not terrible. Cause it worst, <laughs> it's an worst, eight hour drive. <laughs> well, worst case scenario, right? I get to go into Marvel's offices and say, Hey, I got to visit Marvel and interview there. Right? Like that's still a cool story. All right. That's cool. All right. Yeah. You win. And so, All right. And so that's he cool. told me, he's like, he's like, that's weird, but okay. He's like, we can't like put you up for anything. I'm like, don't worry about it. Like I'll drive. Like I, my, most of my IT art career was, um, like it was consulting work. So I traveled a ton. So at that time, I, like it was nothing, mm-hmm. um, drove out, you know, stayed, got there the day before, stayed at a place and drove downtown Manhattan the next morning and interviewed. And he told me that that's, that my, my willingness to do that, to make an impression was what put me over, um, the other applicants and stuff that you talked to. Um, and it's still in my, his recommendation for me on LinkedIn mentions that. So, um, stuff like that matters. And so I, you know, I landed the internship. I um, spent the summer working out there. It was the summer that Guardians of the Galaxy came out and um, got to meet Chris Pratt. And was oh, that's so cool. I came in the office and got to go to the New York premiere, um, friends and family premiere of Guardians and stuff. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Worked on Disney Infinity 2.0 that summer, a bunch of other Marvel games. Um, it was a great, great experience. All right. So like, we're going to skip all around. I, you know, I have like a flow of questions that I have. You're One nasty. of them included like, who'd you meet? You You're met, nasty. you, you realize that when you met Chris Pratt, you were meeting the future Mario. That's who you met. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought. Like it went, that's all that went through my head at that point. You're right. Yeah. Not star Lord. <laughs> no nope. Mario. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool, man. That's, that's really fun. They're very yeah. cool, dude. That's so exciting. And, uh, you know, from there you got to work at Disney infinity, which is honest to goodness. The Marvel inclusion of Disney Infinity is what got me into that game. And I, yeah. to this day, lament that there's not a digital version to play those games because I had a blast with those. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, I guess if you owned it, you can still, you can still play it. But like, yeah, 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 you can't, like, it's not new, you can't go out and, and get it. Which I think yeah. is a shame because I had a blast yeah. with that. I yeah, had a blast this with is that. my first game that I worked on too. So it's like one of those things where you always want people to know and see. What was your role in working on on that property? I've heard you talk, and I should I should note, um, listen to a very recent interview on Doomkiller HD's Excelsior podcast, which I really enjoyed. Um, really want to point people towards that as well, because uh, he's a, a Avengers focused content creator. Which you guys did a great one on one. But what did you do with Disney Infinity and Marvel in your early days? Um, so when I was working at Marvel, a lot of what Marvel does on their end. Like, obviously, they, I mean, they don't, they uh, license the IP, right? Um, mm-hmm. they, they don't actually build the games. I mean, they, they do some some stuff. Like, one of the things that I worked on while I was there was this um, Spider-Man uh, web um, game for kids. Um, but any, any, like, console and mobile games license it out um, to companies like, you know, Crystal, mm-hmm. where I'm at now. Um, and um, so I did a lot of um, what they kind of called brand assurance mm-hmm. which is i would get new builds of um the game and i would get you know new characters that they were working on and my task and i was paired with someone from legal of, <laughs> of all groups oh um, wow um <laughs> my 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 task was to play the characters and make sure they felt like they should right so mm-hmm. one of the first issues that i ran into was early build of of disney Infinity two and some of the characters you start out with are Hulk and Black Widow. And both mm-hmm. of them could do this kind of double jump power dive uh, crash down thing. Mm-hmm. And 
like it made sense for Hulk. Um, and it was this huge AOE thing. Mm-hmm. Um, made sense for Hulk, obviously, but like with Black Widow, it just felt weird because like she doesn't have that kind of momentum and um, mm-hmm. it just, yeah, it just didn't feel like it, like her moveset. And so that's one thing. That's one of the first pieces of feedback I gave him was like, these are cool moves. They should not be, you know, they should not be both right used on the same hero like just it doesn't that shouldn't be a thing um so yeah and then and so things like that like nothing crazy or or huge but um give them that type of feedback um Mm -hmm. i did a lot of like reference finding references to help studios out um so i don't know if you've ever played any of like zen pinball games they do they have a bunch of like um marvel themed tables and um star wars themed tables one of the first ones i worked on was a venom themed table Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, Zen studios was having trouble finding, uh, reference, like they always try to find some sort of, um, like, uh, it's a little bit of not super obscure, but a little bit obscure character to that's tied to the character. And so they were trying to find some stuff on typhoid Mary to include in there and they were having some trouble with that. And so I, you know, I helped them out and got them some, like I just went straight to the vault and I'm like, okay, let's find everything that has to do with typhoid Mary. And then I was able to kind of hook them up with that. So those sort in, of things in the, the world that you're talking about, like in that, that consulting world where you're giving, you know, even like the Zen pinball stuff, feedback and Disney mm-hmm. infinity feedback, are you having to go and like, do your own research to a comic archive. Do you have that knowledge internally uh, from growing up with Marvel? Um, Cause word on the street is you're not a DC guy. That wasn't your jam. Um, it's, 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 I shouldn't say that. Like to be fair, the first, the first comic characters I ever really was introduced to as a kid were DC characters. Mm-hmm. They like the first comic movie I ever remember seeing was 89 Batman. And it really okay. resonated with me. I didn't watch a lot of, uh, I didn't read a lot of comics as a kid mm-hmm. um, and like the only real exposure to comics. And this is going to sound really strange that I had as a kid was um, in the barber shop that I went to. Mm-hmm. And so they would have, cause there was like a little newsstand that was just down the street from there. And so they would get some stuff to like put on the tables in the waiting room and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would read some, like, as I was waiting, I, I always went with my dad and, so as I was waiting for him to get his haircut or like he was waiting for like after I would get mine, I would wait for him and and I would page through some of those things. So like I knew who Spider-Man was and like to the point where like when the movie came out in the early 2000s when I was in college, like mm-hmm. I knew who Spider-Man was and, and I definitely got hooked. But um, Batman was definitely my first and then Batman Returns and then all the rest of the, you know, the the other the Schumacher, Schumacher Batmans version. through the 90s right. and um, and stuff were really my first um, um, was my first real interaction with comics. So uh, comic based properties. So mm-hmm. and then it was and the, and the first the first Marvel one that I really got um, exposed to was the you know 2000s X-Men. And that's mm-hmm. what really kind of blew me away in, in like, holy crap, like this is there's something here, man. Like the comic based movies don't have to be super cheesy and terrible. Mm-hmm. Like saw what DC was doing. And this is where, you know, it was still the, the Avi Rod era and stuff, but like Marvel had knew what they wanted to do with these things. And it wasn't about guys in spandex anymore. Mm-hmm. It was about, um, you know, trying to ground it, make it feel more realistic and um, not just kind of be super campy, which is what a lot of it had been in the past. So um, that's when I, it wasn't until like my freshman year in college, um, when I really started to get into that. So, 
So the comic era, you and I, it sounds to me like you and I kind of grew up in the same comic era. We saw the goods, we saw the bads, we saw the awkwards, uh, we had the <laughs> stuff that we may have liked in the moment, and then afterwards we're like, oh, okay, maybe yeah. not, uh, which is crazy. Um, it has to be, we're going to get back to your career in a minute, but I'm just diverging only to say, is it cool, is it cool for you, like it is for me, to see our Spider-Men returning, to know that our Batmans are returning, and, and see the, the worlds jump, or is it awkward? Oh, it's cool for yeah. me, um, right. it, for sure. Like, uh, I'm interested to see, you know, with Keaton coming back and in, in uh, is that Bat Batgirl? I think he's he's in he's in the Flash and he's in okay. Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if it was both or it was just one. Um, I'm super interested to see that. I think it I think it's really smart. Um, and I think well, you know, obviously we have kind of Marvel to thank for that stuff with saying like, you know there have been different takes on these movies over the years. Um, and there's cool ways to kind of bring them back in without making things weird and not make sense, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, no way home obviously is a me- like, and I'm, and this isn't just like, like I'm a, a, a film fan, not just a, uh, you know, a, a comic movie, comic book movie fan, but like mm-hmm. no way home was a, a masterclass in how you do that, right? Just as a film itself, like mm-hmm. how do you tie together 20 plus years of, of movie history that isn't related, mm-hmm. right? Except for the central theme of the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, what's the line in, in Star Trek with Spock says, you know, only Nixon could go to China. Like only <laughs> Feige could, could do something like this. Like he is to me, right. and my, my biggest Marvel hot take that, I'll, I will die on this hill is that Kevin Feige is more important to Marvel than I think Stan Lee ever was. And that's not to say that Stan Lee is not a massive Titan in the industry and, and he mm-hmm. has a huge impact on that. But like the exposure of Marvel property and the, the depth in which it can be displayed and the mm-hmm. height at which it can reach could, would never have happened without Kevin Feige. Never. I, he and John Favreau both, I, I yeah. think, did such a special thing. And it's funny because I teach middle school. And to them, the Avengers are A-tier, top, top A-list characters. Uh, and, you know, the X-Men are, are lower on right. the, the totem pole. Yeah. Whereas when I was going up, you know, if you mentioned Captain America or Iron Man, I was I, I remember the 90s uh, cartoons, which I really liked. But yeah. those were not A-list characters. They were, were almost close to the silly. 90s X-Men. Yeah, with yeah. Jim Lee and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so that's funny. Well, we're going to loop back because by way of your career to, to comics, but you ventured out and you also worked at like Madden. You worked with Madden at EA Sports. Yep. I went after um, after Marvel Heroes closed or Marvel Heroes shut down and Gazillion closed. Um, I was a little sour on the comic book genre, right? Like it's, it's really weird for, and I will tell this as, career advice for anybody who's trying to get into work in a field that is their, their, their passion, right? Like their mm-hmm. non-work passion, like people who want to get into, who love film and they want to work in film or people who love cars and they want to work in the car, you know, and whatever aspect of, of working on cars may be is that the highs are super high. And like when things are going great, it's amazing. And you're like, this is awesome. Like, this is chocolate and peanut butter and, and nothing could be better, but man, the lows really hit harder than like, you know, I, I worked at, uh, when I, in my IT audit days, IT audit days, 
uh, I worked at a company that was really impacted by like the housing market um, mm -hmm. issues of the, the, the late mid to late two thousands. And like, I got laid off because of that, just like I survived like six different rounds and then eventually mm -hmm. I, I got laid off just cause they were just hurting. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that sucks. You know, but like when that happens, when you're working on a Marvel game that gets closed, loving Marvel the way you do and loving the game, it just like it Ouch. sent me into a pretty dark place. And so the last thing and I and I and during the time after that happened in my job search, like I was talking to different companies that were still making Marvel games. Like I got super close to working at Kabam on um, one of their games. Uh, I don't know if it was supposed to be Contest of Champions or the new one that they put out. Um but, you know, I talked to a couple different Marvel studio, Marvel game com companies that work on Marvel games, except for Crystal, strangely enough. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, at the end, it came down to two really good job offers. One here in Orlando at um, Tiburon, which is the EA studio that does uh, Madden and does um, uh, college football and did NBA Live for a while um, and uh PGA Tour, their next-gen uh, golf game, so, sorts of stuff. Big, big part of their sports studio. Um, and uh, working on NBA Live Mobile, which was going to be a new thing for me, like working on a mobile game. Um, or uh, a job working on Elder Scrolls Online uh, up in uh, outside Baltimore. And it came down to, like, I, I had worked at a small indie studio and gazillion and the idea of working at ea with the kind of job security that would come at ea especially at the studio that you know birthed madden like mm -hmm. not having to worry about oh god is my game going to shut down am i going to have to look for another job like that's right that wasn't a fear so like for me and and to, you know zenimax online is no slouch either but right like, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah i ended up like there's so many different avenues of ea that like once you get in there like there's so many different routes that you can go and so i ended up um you know, saying, I don't know a lot about basketball, but here's a great way to learn. And it was also the same thing of like, I don't know a lot about basketball. So if the game doesn't work out or something like that happens and I, you know, whatever the game would close or anything, like I'm not going to die inside again. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of that. So worked um, on that game for about two years. And then um, doing what, if you don't mind my asking, because uh, I, was, I was pretty a generalist game designer. So um, mobile games, uh, basically have two types of designers. One is uh, like a generalist or a feature designer, which works on like the overall structure and the game design of, of, of the game, like the modes, like here's a new mode that you're going to make, or here's a battle pass system, or here's a monetization system or anything like that mm -hmm. versus content designers, which create the like day to day, um, week to week content that you play. Um, mm -hmm. and so, um, I came in as, as a feature, like one of two feature designers on the game. And um, so worked on some of the monetization systems and uh, worked on some of the, uh, you know, some PVP modes and my cat is being a little shithead. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so I, as, as, as he is, um, which by and, the way, any, any listener that doesn't follow Brian on Twitter, hates be wags. Um, you will see many, many ventures of his cat yeah, and they're awesome. He's a little shithead. Hey, stop <laughs> it. Um, so I, you know, I worked a couple of years on that and then kind of felt like I had gotten everything that I had, I could get out of that. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, there was a role that opened up on, it was an unannounced title at the time, but it was working on 
early, early prototyping game design on what is their now EGA Sport or PGA Tour, EA Sports PGA Tour. Jeez, that was a mouthful. Um, game that's uh, their next gen um, PGA Tour golf game. And so I, I came in and the creative director on there, um, he really, like, I wanted to get into working in game narrative. Um, mm-hmm. And he, you know, he and I got along great. And I came in to help um, do the start, the discussion and the, do the preliminary design on what their career mode was going to be, which anybody who's played a golf game knows that like the career mode is the mode that 90% of golf game players play. Um, and so I got <laughs> a lot of freedom um, to, to put that together, came up with some really interesting designs on it. And we ended up start, we are, we started moving into production and mm-hmm. then there were some internal shifts at EA and um, we decided to, to start up college uh, football again. And so the game director on Madden um, moved over to start that. And they asked my creative director on PJ tour, uh, Ryan Santos to, to join as creative director over on Madden to take over. And as he did, he said, Hey, one of the areas I'm taking over is um, the kind of the air quotes career mode. We don't really treat it as that in Madden. Um, face of the franchise is what's been called um, kind of the single player story mode part. And he said, I love what we've been doing on PGA tour. Um, we call it Talladega. Talladega was the code name. And so mm-hmm. it's weird calling it that now, but he said, I love what we're doing on Talladega. And he's like, I want to do that. And Madden, he said, obviously you're a core part of that. He's like, do you want to come over and help me with it? And this, uh, this is after I've been on golf for like a year. And I said, sure. And so I came in and um, was able to st- to start some of that work. Madden cycle is insanity. Um, putting out an annualized console title is, I mean, it gets a lot of grief for that, um, mm-hmm. but whole, it is, it's the most accelerated uh, game development process I've ever seen. And I've worked on mobile games. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's nuts. It's a million people working on uh, two and a half million things, you know, and there's not enough time. There's not enough resources. And, at the, at the point where you think you got everything figured out, you got to just slash the scope out of stuff because you know, you don't have enough time. What so, is the turnaround time on those games? Because I would think it's nine months and then you get three to like prep for the next one. And then you go, <laughs> is that right? Oh, you're laughing at me. Okay. So this is going real well. Oh my. All right. What so, educate me. So Here let's say Madden normally comes out in like late, uh, like early August, right. To okay. get ready okay. for, for the season. Um, it has to be locked and uh in qa by may really uh which means that you really only get from like you get when may starts you have some people that stay on that year to help fix bugs and finalize and polish stuff uh and then you have a small part of the team move forward to start planning for the next year Mm -hmm. and it's a small team so they're only able to do so much and they do that for the next kind of, you know, from August through the end of the year. Um, and then once we, you, you come back after you know, the holidays, um, you start doing all the planning and you spend about two months in planning, you know, figuring out, okay, these are the features that we're going to do. What's it going to take to do that? How are we going to get the resources that we need? Do we have the resources? Do we need, do we need to pull them? Do we need to hire people or something? And then you basically have about, three to four months to actually build all the stuff that you want to do. 
out of Ugh. that whole year cycle. Yeah. And so it's, it's once you get into, once you get to February, it's all stop. <laughs> it's all go, no stop uh, for until, you know, May or June. Um, it, it's, it's insanity. Um, and I, and I came on like right around the time when 21 launched, like a couple weeks after, Mm-hmm. And I was part of the early team that was working on, like you spend that September, October, and like basically up through Thanksgiving because, like, Thanksgiving to New Year's is basically a dead time for any game studio because a lot of studios close for mm-hmm. you know Christmas the weeks around Christmas and New Year's and but there's a lot of people who just because it's crunch all the time in their studio they save up PTO and they like take december off <laughs> so mm. um december is kind of a lost month um and so you you know you on the design side you design out all the, the features you want to do and then mm-hmm. you get them peer reviewed and then you iterate and then you get peer reviewed again and then you iterate until you're at some place where you think that you're happy and then um you start planning what it would take to to build those so it's <laughs> it's it's ruthless it's yeah. uh it's ruthless that sounds like a baptism by fire for it's like dog years. Like I learned more in that year on Madden, I think, than in all the rest of the time that I spent in the game industry. Just because a there's a lot of people on that that have worked, um, you know, for ages in the industry and have gone through. You know, my my manager at that time had worked on Madden since like the late '90s, I think, and he just like he was he knew everything about everything. It was amazing. So, wow, yeah, oh. I mean cool but also yeah. oh yeah <laughs> you know yeah. all right all right so compare that experience and working like that in in that crunch is not the right word i, I don't like that i want to go to that word but no. that that high intensity pressure cooker of a of a timeline compare yeah. that say where you have a yearly release to something like coming into avengers where it's a live service and you're constantly you're just like at man you're you're expected to produce content regularly and at a you know, a high pace, but it's, it's in a different method of delivery, I guess. Yeah. Do they compare? Is it apples and oranges? Are there are points of comparison? I mean, Madden is a, a big live service game, you know, because mm-hmm. what, what I was working on, if you take, if you kind of take the, the two tier of design that I talked about on NBA live mobile, where you have kind of feature designers and you have content mm-hmm. designers, it's the same thing mm-hmm. on Madden. Right. And I was again in the feature design role, um, and I did, but I had to do some of like, okay, what's the setup for this feature? What's the content setup for this feature? So mm-hmm. that they, they had stuff to launch with where after that there's, you know, there's people who run Madden ultimate team. There's people who run the yard and all that sort of stuff to make sure that it has content throughout the year. So right. it, it's a, it's a, it's a live service game with, a with their big refresh coming annually, mm-hmm. you know, where on Avengers, like, you know, it's. In, so far in the past since launch, like there have been, there's Kate, there's Clint, there's Black Panther, there's Spider-Man. And we've done, you know, over the year, a course of a year and a half, big, big, launch, big content releases around that. And we've mm-hmm. had some smaller ones in between there. Um, but that's kind of, that's, it's, it's taking, obviously each one of those, I don't know, Wakanda maybe is probably the closest we got to the same size of a release that Madden would do. Mm-hmm. Um just because of all, the, all you know, it's a hero plus a whole new, you know, single player story and all, all sorts of stuff, um, mm-hmm. new biome and yada yada. But um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a very similar, it's a similar methodology, but um, 
Marvel, while not tied to the football schedule, like the NFL schedule, which is um, super important to make sure that they're constantly tying into and right. it's like in their contract. Um, like Marvel definitely has things that they want to like our games definitely have things that we want to tie into with Marvel releases, right? Like whether it's Disney plus or the films or, or mm-hmm. major comic releases or things like that. Um, so it's similar, but it's not as, uh, I mean, the team is nowhere the size that Madden is just because their team at crystal. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. okay it's, okay. It's, it's, I mean, it's a smaller studio, right? Like mm-hmm. Tiburon, like, Madden itself, because the NFL is so huge, it's like this, n- the number two revenue generator of EA behind mm-hmm. FIFA, and nothing will ever touch FIFA at EA. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, because of that, they they pour more people and more resources and stuff into it. Um, mm-hmm. Where Crystal was never that big, you know, and I'm and I'm not dogging Crystal at all. It's just they've, oh, they've exactly. never had to work on a on a on a game that of that. Plus, Madden's been around for what thirty some years. Yeah, it's an established um, franchise. Yeah, it's grown over the years into the live service area, where yeah. and it started. You know, you plug it, pop it into your Sega Genesis, and then there you go. You know. Yeah. So it's um it's it's a lot different, and you know, Crystal's strengths are different than you know Tiburon's strengths, um, and so they're you know trying to work work with those. So I mean, part of the reason why I was hired was a because of my Marvel background, but b because. I had a strong live service background working on the games that I had. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things I came in to, to help shore up on their side. So, And, we, and for listeners should know, Brian came in to Avengers after the game had launched yep. timeline wise, but just, just for, for their clarity, but June, of 21. Uh, June 21. Okay. Gotcha. Qu- one more question on, on EA then. Uh, mm-hmm. How big was that team? Like to get that, that model out, how many people do you think touched Madden? Uh, from year to year, Jesus, I, I, well, I'll, I'll give you the lead in, and I'm curious how many people touch Avengers. I'm, I'm looking at the studio size comparison because I think that's really interesting. Yeah, so Madden, um, it's not like it is not just the people here in Orlando at Tiburon. Um, mm-hmm. They have a studio in Madrid that uh, helps a lot with that. There's some uh, assistance that comes from. I don't know if it is anymore um, out of Romania, Um, Mm -hmm. Bucharest, Romania has Mm -hmm. a, there's a presence there. They do a lot of stuff with FIFA there too. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Madden is not a, it's a global studio Mm -hmm. uh, thing. Kind of like, I don't know if anybody pays attention to like battlefield release, like when they say like, Hey, we're bringing on criterion or, you know, anything like that, where they're like EA has so many different studios to pull from um, to help on different initiatives that it's not just, um, like the, the, the core of the team is here. I don't know, probably a couple hundred people, mm-hmm. I would say probably okay. at most 500. Okay. So like, we'll say 500 plus yeah. is, is a comfortable way to put that versus like a live service in Avengers. How many people do you think kind of touch that in I, the cycle? I don't know. Uh, and I don't want to hazard a guess because a, I work a hundred percent remote. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the people that I interact with on my side versus mm-hmm. people who work in other disciplines that I never have to interact with. Um, B, uh, I don't know what it was when I started or what mm. it was in, in pre-production too. So I don't want to hazard a guess to that because um, I think, I don't know that I think it would be a little misleading. One gotcha. thing that we do at crystal is we leverage outsourcers a bit. 
mm-hmm. more, definitely more than, than a company like EA or Madden does. Um, and so we, because, and a lot of the times, like outsourcing is a great thing for game development because it's much easier to, to get certain things done um, to certain quality levels and within certain scopes. And it's really great for designers. Like I love working with outsourcers as a designer because it means that I have to be crystal clear with my designs. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there can't be any room for like, oh, well then we'll have our engineers kind of figure this out. And I'm like, it's, you, can't, you can't, like you have to, you have to be crystal clear with it because like they're, these outsource studios are built on milestones and they have to know what a completion is, a completion milestone is so that they get paid. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I, I, I mean, it's, it's different than working with, you know, internal resources on some things. Some things are better to outsource, some things are not. Um, but like as a designer, um, most of the time I, it's, it's really great from just a design cleanliness point of view to work with outsourcers just because you have to be very clear about it and you don't have to worry as much about like a thing working on, on Madden is like MVP is a term they use a lot, which is minimum viable product. And so mm-hmm. you start your design with the MVP and say, okay, these are the minimum, these are the things that this feature needs at a basic level, just to ship. And then you build out your tier two, tier three. Mm-hmm. And like, here are the things that would be really, that would be like almost necessity, but in a pinch, we could cut these and it wouldn't be the end of the world. And then you have two or three things, which is like, this is the stuff that would really be a plus, but we know we're probably not going to have the time resources or budget to do it. Um, and so that's not like when working with outsourcers, that's not even a thing. Cause like you have to tell them what, what the required product is for them just to be able to, to plan and assign their resources to it and then build mm-hmm. it in the timeline that you need. So um, that's it's a lot more predictable. <laughs> gotcha. Huh? Man, super cool insight just into how studios work what versus the product they put out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like a big thing that I, I I know people who don't work in the game industry or, or, or consumers, they like they don't understand. Like they know that people and money go in and game comes out. But mm-hmm. the actual like nuts and bolts of how all that, that stuff happens and like what it takes to release, you know, a, a hero in Avengers or what it takes to release a feature in Madden. Um, is a very difficult process mm-hmm. um and, and uh, it's it's very involved it's very like there's a reason why it takes a lot of people and a lot of money to build these things well is so that brings up a great question to me because i've i've, I've asked this before mm-hmm. and i don't know well i've asked this before and then, and then take it how you how you like it on this one okay. you've you said there's never enough time right like it, it, there's never enough time to create what you want to create if you had a time machine you could go back and fix things or, or you know polish stuff mm-hmm. and oftentimes people will suggest to you well why not more people why not more money and mm-hmm. you know there's got to be a, an element to that like really why not more people or why not more money and, and the balance that comes with it? it you know in crystal's case why not throw more people to reduce the timeline for a hero or why not more money in madden's case to to fix server issues i, I don't know i'm just i'm spitballing yeah. there no but, yeah but why not why not it's a good it's a really good question um and sometimes more people more money is the solution you know sometimes mm-hmm. there are studios like gazillion we could you know if we had more people if we had more money we could definitely have done more more with marvel heroes that way but you got to dance with who brung you. Right. And like mm-hmm. you have earnings from, from what, what you make on cosmetics from that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in order to, and we failed miserably at gazillion with this um, 
to to operate within the parameters of what we're earning. And so like everybody has their own their own like uh, conspiracy theories on why Gazillion, um, you know, went under like all these different things. And like the reason was Marvel Heroes was never profit was profitable two months out of the lifespan of the game. And that's not how you run a business. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, you can't do that. You can't put more into it than you make because like you just, then you're constantly borrowing. You're con- you're trying to get investors to come in and be like, this is what it's going to take to turn around. And none of that stuff is actually working. Um, and so like, it's just, it's not going to work. So mm-hmm. in that case, like if, if we suddenly had a huge influx of new money, that's great. But again, we're going to be doing stuff that isn't going to actually make the core part of the game and the, and the, and the basis of the game economy stable right it's not it's not making us more profitable mm-hmm. um and so that and that so that's that's where it becomes it's not just like a throw resources at it problem um and a lot of the times it, a lot of those reasons are technical too like in how software engineering works most times like have you can't have multiple people working on the same sort of feature at the same time because like you know you all have to you're working on the same piece of code and so mm-hmm. like having multiple people working on the same piece of code at the same time means that thing changes are being made that someone else isn't working with because they're being worked with at the same time like a, a lot of it is very serialized like it's not easy to work in parallel on that stuff i mean there's ways where you can kind of manage the project to do that but mm-hmm. um a lot a lot of times you're really limited by just technology and what mm-hmm. it takes to to in terms of software engineering um but most of the time it just comes down to like you have to live within your means right um Mm -hmm. you know studios that you know like epic when when battle royale became a huge thing for Fortnite, i mean they closed down paragon Mm -hmm. to bring in that entire art team to build cosmetics for for Fortnite, right like (laughs) yeah i remember andy renee so upset by that (laughs) yeah like they 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 there's no way they could have hired people fast enough to, mm-hmm. to fill that and so they had to make a hard call and be like what what will we have to do and at that point like paragon is a cool game but it wasn't the big hit that they wanted to, wanted it to be so mm-hmm. they they said okay let's turn those resources over and um and i think because of that that's one of the reasons why they are able to still be on the top in that genre is because they are smart enough to know when to to move resources around changes mm-hmm. to make to keep things different and um you know and what and not overdo it right and not go mm-hmm. too crazy um and and so that's that's the thing a lot of it is is just it's just core business principles you know mm-hmm. you know you got money coming in you got money going out those two things obviously you want money coming in to be higher than money going out and then right whatever the money going out is you got to figure out what can you do with that money going out or how can you, what can you do with the money going out to help increase the money coming in so that mm-hmm. then the money going out will let you do more things. So that, that, that's the latter part of what you're saying kind of brings me to my uh, crystal specific question. When you look at crystals past, it was create the product, put the boxed product out. And that is it. Like, and I'm thinking about tomb Raider is the, is the most uh, recent trilogy. I love those tomb Raider games, but once they mm-hmm. created it, that was the crit, that was the product and it's yeah. out. And with Avengers, you've got a live service model and live service models. You can look at Destiny. You can look at World of Warcraft. You can look at any other number of you know, games out there. A lot of times their monetization models will change as you go as well to, yep. to alter that influx of cash. With 
with Crystal's approach with, with Avengers saying, hey, our heroes are going to be free forever. Uh, you can buy into what is effectively a battle pass for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been different types of monetization setups, wins, losses kind of in that realm. And trying to adjust the pipelines has to be difficult also uh, to get your heroes out, right? It's like an eight right. month time, but it's not start to finish eight months because things overlap uh, yeah. here and there. So do you have to leverage, hey, we want to do more with, you know, comic skins or MCU skins in order to help fund X project or this, or my friends joke with me that I funded war for Wakanda. That's my, that's my <laughs> hilarity. There. We appreciate that. <laughs> hey, here for you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and I look dope by the way, my Iron Man is sweet, nice. but uh, you know, is that a struggle? Is there a way that like, Hey, how do we leverage the income without backlash or with some backlash to get the product out that we want to get? like, I don't know that I had, I had a question in all that, but, but can you digest what I just said and, yeah. and say something cool on it? There you go. Uh, <laughs> the answer is making games is hard. Um, yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. Like um, Crystal wanted to try something different and made, you know, they, they you know, at, at launch, they said all of our, you know, follow up heroes and DLC are going to be free. You know, cosmetics are going to be our way to, to help fund the game. And so, you know, we're, you know, we're respecting that and, and, like you saw with, you know, we, we tried to venture out a little bit with boosters mm-hmm. um, and we saw our, you know, our players response to that. And we said, okay, that's not something that, 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 you know, we're not going to push that issue. Like, it's just not mm-hmm. like, it's not worth it at that point. So um, we hear what our players are saying and, you know, we, we take that as feedback and then we see, okay, what, what next? Right. Mm-hmm. So some of that is, it's all about learning, Right. Um, because like you can have, like, there are people who've worked on Avengers, like who have worked on other live service games in the past. Like we've had game directors who've worked on, um, Call of Duty and and stuff like who have, who have worked on those games and know what those are. But the the problem is like, it's never one-to-one or it's never Mm -hmm. even like apples to apples, um, comparison. Because like, if you take a, a game like Destiny, right. And people love to compare Avengers to Destiny because it's a live service shooter, hero based, yada, yada, Mm -hmm. um, the, the difference is like licensed IP games have to be handled very, very differently. Like, um, like Bungie can kind of do whatever they want with their game, right? If they want to, you know, add in, you know, laser fairies as the next class in Destiny, they can do it, right? Like mm-hmm. we have to stick to the IP and work with our licensors to make sure what we're doing they're they're okay with because it's a licensed IP, like they own it. Um, and they don't, you know, obviously we don't want to do anything to tarnish that and, and they want to want us to, to honor all that stuff too. So um, it's, Does it's that not time to development, like to, to clear things with them. Uh, of course. Versa? Yeah, of okay. course. Like, I mean, anything does like you, you, you know, you want to make sure that Marvel's on board with what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. um, and then there's approval process. Like all of our cosmetics go through an approval process. Any of our, 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 um, our like MCU outfits not only go through the normal approval process, but then they go through a studio's review for accuracy and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean that's that sort of stuff takes extra time, but we you know we know that going in. That's just how it is. Like that's how it was in Marvel Heroes too. Like we knew what, what that was like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not like handcuffs or anything like that. It's just part of what it's like working on a on a licensed game. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's a little different. You gotta you gotta handle things differently. You gotta figure out what what your like the player base for Destiny is definitely not the same kind of player base that we have in Avengers. Like ours 
while it has its hardcore elements and are, you know, the, the Raider elements, the people who, who play a million hours a day and, you know, race for highest power level and everything like that. Um, like, because the majority of the fan base of Marvel right now is based around the MCU, it's a much more co- casual fan base mm-hmm. um, where they want to come in. They want to get that hero fantasy and then they're not going to play 10 hours <laughs> at a time. You know, they want to come in, they want to feel super powerful and then they're going to go, you know, feed their kids. They're going to go walk their dog, you know? Um, right. So it's, it's a much different fan base and we have to focus on like, what does that fan base want? What does that need? Um, and so you have to do things where like, well, I've played this looter and they've done this feature and it's like, well, does that really work for us? Right. Is that sort mm-hmm. of content work for us? Is it really going to be the best for the largest group of people? And um, you have to look through it that lens all the time um, just to kind of, just to kind of see like, what the right direction is. And a lot of that, like nobody's done a, a looter Marvel, you know, like uh, Marvel heroes was close, but it was a Diablo style game. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody's done a, a, a real strong co-op based Marvel um, live service game like this before it's blazing new territory and you can learn what you can from other games in, in the live service genre. But like every day we're learning new stuff. Like what does our, what do certain parts of our, our audience like, and what do certain parts not like? And sometimes like one part of our audience loves X and one of the parts of our audience hates X. And it's like, okay, well, how do we balance that? Right. Like it's not, everybody doesn't love everything. So it's a, it's a very difficult, difficult thing to balance. I notice often the very vocal members of the, of the Avengers community. And I've seen content creators make their entire channels based on attacking or celebrating an IP, right? Avengers yep. is a good example of that, but that happens with, with a lot of big games. But the hardest of hardcore, the people that are, are raid grinding, getting that gear, they often don't necessarily represent the biggest fraction of players. It's very uh, rare that they, they do in any game, to be honest. And, and so as, that's kind of my next question. The For any listener that's, that's not Avengers adjacent or you're not like a, an Avengers fan, the next update, 2.4, uh, which comes out in, in this actually upcoming week, Brian, um, is is tailored to onboarding players in a more pr- productive and pr- efficient way than uh, the game launched with, which yeah. would mean that new players are more welcomed. And you've mentioned before on other uh, podcasts that Game Pass has, has helped bring in new players, and I'm sure yep. uh, future versions of whatever competitors might people check out the game would do the same. You have to balance the vocal minority of money spenders and game players and content creators with the vast amount of casual players that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you guys go about that internally? And is that a crystal specific thing or is that no. a crystals Avengers specific that, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's, it's my, my, you know, off, you know, from the hip jokey comment is that, that the people who are happy playing your game are not on Reddit complaining about it. Um, mm. And so that's a sweeping generalization. That's probably not even really that accurate, but um, it's, it's one of those things that you have to take with a grain of salt um, when you get feedback in. So one of the ways that we try to validate this stuff is through just gameplay, gameplay metrics. Like, um, you know, if we see people saying, you know, X hero is terrible and nobody plays it and you know, whatever. And then we say, okay, well, let's look at our metrics to see how many people are playing it. How long are they playing it? How far are they getting with this hero? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what power level, what hero level. And we try to see that and we try to say, okay, the, in, the feedback we're getting from, you know, our you know, social media or, or whatever does not jive with what we're seeing from this. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so one of a big one of the biggest examples I can give about this, and I do with Gazillion because it's closed and doesn't really affect anything I'm doing right now. But like one of the biggest things that we had at Marvel Heroes were these things called fortune cards, which were kind of like a precursor to loot boxes. Okay. Um, and so you would get a, you know, a fortune card had a chance to drop a, you know, loot boxes normally drop several things, right? A fortune mm-hmm. card was like, it would drop one thing from a loot table. Sometimes that was a costume. Sometimes it wasn't. Um, and so that would be the place where we would put like some really high draw costumes to earn extra inventory think what you like about loot boxes good bad i'm not going to get into that the feedback if you look at the forums from that is that nobody loves fortune cards and nobody buys them mm-hmm. and we're like okay that's that's good feedback and then we would go and we would look at the sales and we would see that people were right and like by and large it was the the biggest way for us to to make money on those things one of the reasons why we went to a loot box system uh with costumes when we moved to console because mm-hmm. we saw that that was that was a, a better way for us to generate revenue on those than a la carte like if you mm-hmm. put costumes a la carte like marvel marvel heroes did like people will think it's always there i don't have to buy it now you know if you do time limited like again this, and this is a sales strategy thing which you may or may not like i'm not saying it's good or bad but like the, the fomo thing drives consumer behavior that's a behavior that Fortnite executes on. It's well a behavior as well. that any company in the history of time has, you know, it's like Labor Day, you know, Labor Day sale come in this week to get a disc. You know what I mean? Like it's time limited stuff always drives people to do to 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 buy things in a certain time frame that you want them to rather than just say, oh, I could go get like we're looking for a new couch. Like we're going to you know, we want to see like what sales happen like around you know labor day or or not labor day memorial day or something like that to see because they do that to drive in sales in a certain period of time so versus like oh we could get a couch anytime you know so right um and and so like our the feedback we were getting from the forums and social media was like diametrically opposed to what we were seeing in player behavior and so it's one of those things where it's like we hear you but you know this is one of the things that's helping us keep the game alive so right you know so it's it's you have to you have to validate it you can't just take um you know subjective feedback as objective feedback you have to validate it and obviously there are trends that you'll see and player sentiment is a very important thing for any game Mm -hmm. um and measuring that is something that a lot of places and a lot of people try to do like and measuring the impact of player sentiment what that has to do um, but a lot of it is, is intangible. And so, um, a lot of it is, is just hard to quantify. So you keep an eye on both, right? You can't use one or the other. You got to take a look at both. So you listen to every source of feedback that you can, and you utilize it to make the decisions that, that you need to, and hopefully you make the right ones, but just like any human being, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Well, Lynn, let's go to a different question. Famous Seamus wrote in, uh, and he said, if it's not too much, how did the reaction of the game's reveal and critical reception to the game uh, affect the company or its morale or even your own morale? Now, that's an odd question because you did come in late and I don't think Seamus realized that. Yeah. But in arriving to the team when you did, particularly given that it was working remote, did you notice kind of a, a change in morale from the way the players engaged with the game versus the perception? Um. I don't, I mean, maybe, I don't know what it was before. 
because I wasn't here. I was a fan, you know, mm-hmm. um, I can, I can, so I, I can't really speak to, to that or what the, you know, what the change is. I, I can tell you this, that no game designer likes to have people tell them that they're worthless pieces of garbage on social media. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's something that like, like should happen regardless of what you think of a game they worked on or not. Like, um, and like, it just, that's something that's too normal in our society right now is Mm -hmm. like players want more communication and want more transparency in the game design and game production process. However, there is a group and I'm not saying that this is all of them. There's another, there's a group of people who, um, who, who claim that they want that. But at the same time, like no matter what you say or whatever, how you try to explain things, it's, it's, it, they're not going to, it's not going to appease them. Right. Right. There are some people who will, but those are all the, also the people who probably aren't <laughs> you death threats via DMS and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I've experienced all of those things on games that I've worked on. Like I've had people issued death threats to me over changes. I had nothing to do on NBA live mobile. Like it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like that's one of the things if I could go back in time and tell myself when I was changing careers, it's like, this is going to be really cool. It's going to be really fulfilling. You're going to make video games and that's going to be awesome, but you're also going to get really weird stuff like Mm. people sending you death threats on Twitch for things you had nothing to do with. You know, it's just part of, it's part of being a a game designer on social media. Um, So it's, you know, it's tough. Um, I think it it causes a lot of game people in game development to not engage on social media. Right. I, I have a different outlook on that. Um, I cut my teeth super early working on Marvel heroes because I uh, first and foremost, kind of like I was on with Avengers, I was a fan first and then I came to work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was already kind of entrenched in that community. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and it really was shocking for me to see how fast people will turn on. You. <laughs> gotcha. like, uh, and, and like, it was tough. Cause I'm like, yes, this is what I always wanted to do. I wanted to work on Marvel stuff and video games. And I'm like, aren't you, you know, nameless people on the internet, aren't you happy and excited for this too? And then, you know, there's people on Reddit who attribute me for things that I had nothing to do with. And those people popped up in the Avengers subreddit when like the story of me joining the team came up and they're like, this guy, he instituted all this stuff on Marvel heroes that killed it. And it's like, I had nothing to do with those things, but it's not part of their narrative. So yeah, Yeah. I don't, you know, I talk with all of any game, any com- any game that I've worked on, any studio I've worked at, most people, most designers, most people who work on games, who work on them, don't interact or don't talk about it a lot because they they don't want to. The potential for bad is is too great. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, like people that I know who do utilize social media, who work on games, don't they talk about things that they, you know, what their hobbies are, things that they do. Um, Because at that, at the end of the day, like you deal with your job all day. And like, when you come home and you want to doom scroll social media, like the last thing you want is for people to then tell you why you suck because of some thing that they don't like in in the product that you work on. Like, right. When I worked in audit, like there weren't subreddits about how terrible the IT audit group at United Airlines was when I was there. (laughs) you know it's like it's it's a whole different sort of thing so gotcha okay that's it's a it's a painful thing to have to ask 
of late, but it's a question that continues, I think, to come up, particularly in this past week, where you look at where you look at Moon Studios stuff coming out and you see a couple of the different news stories come out about indie game studio lives and conversations surrounding uh, the acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft and what that means for the studio cultures there. And mm-hmm. uh, even, and if it's too close to home, I apologize, even Crystal Dynamics having um, exits and entries, in, you know, as they work on Perfect Dark. And that's got to be an odd question for anyone in the industry to continue to have to navigate and field while you're trying to make games. For Which sure. Que- what question? Just the idea of like, do I want to do this and know that I'm opening myself up to criticism from people who are willing to send death threats over something? Yeah. And, and I, and I, I guess I focus a little bit too much on the negative too. Like I met a lot of great people, um, from working on games, like, Mm -hmm. like just, just the community on Avengers. Like I've interacted with a ton of people in that community and they're awesome and they're great. And you know, I like going on, going to their streams and interacting with people in their streams because, you know, they, they are level-headed. Revealing too much is someone who I, I always use as an example. Like he's, he's an incredibly level-headed guy and like he understands that, you know, you know, clickbaity, angry stuff isn't necessarily the best way to foster community. And mm-hmm. so when people come into his stream and they're like, Hey, did you hear this leak or or how about this? Aren't they stupid for doing this? He's just like, I don't know. I'm not in the room where those decisions are made. Like mm-hmm. there are things that I think about it, but like, I'm not going to get wrapped up about it because, you know, of assumptions or things like that. And so I, I appreciate that those type of, of people in the community who are level-headed about it um, because they are, it, it can be rare. You know what I mean? Like a lot mm-hmm. of times people who work in kind of, uh, I sh- and I shouldn't like, I shouldn't do broad sweeping generalizations, but there are a lot of people who, um, you know, leverage that like kind of clickbaity faux outrage sort of things about, or like try to figure out ways to, to drum up controversy to, to get more clicks or more interact. And, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think that that's really helpful or healthy for the game industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tend to steer clear from those things um, as much as I can and, and focus on people who are, you know, trying to foster community, trying to do do what I enjoyed about online gaming communities in the, you know, when I was younger, which is like, hey, let's get online and talk about what we love about this game, right? Let's let's talk about the things that we have fun with and why we like it, and not sit around and talk about why, you know, so-and-so is, soup, is a stupid designer and all pile on him and yeah, yeah, rah, rah, we hate him. Let's make a website to get him fired. You know, stuff like that. Like, right. It's just like, I like being around positivity and around positive people, but I also understand when there are issues that you have to talk about, like the the things that you were talking about with like Activision Blizzard, mm-hmm. you know, not everything is positive. There are some things in the industry that are not great and those things need to be addressed. Um, but trying to be as balanced as you can be and, and, uh, and celebrate when you can and, and then deal with the rest of the stuff when you have to. Yeah. It's gotta be, it's just gotta be a lot to navigate. And I'm, you know, when, when all these different news things come out, I I thought of you guys uh, at the Avengers team when some of the crystals, Crystal and Perfect Dark stuff came out. And like, do you all even interact? Like, how big is Crystal? And with remote work, do you guys get to interact with people that might be going through different levels of turmoil? Um, yeah, I mean, we do because it's we Crystal is three studios. You know, we have Northwest, we have 
Crystal home office in, in the Bay Area. And then we have South, uh, Southwest down in Austin. And uh, every there are people in all three of those offices that are working on all, you know, all of our different things that we have, all of our different products that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, my my manager, my direct manager is now, you know, he's, he is directly working on Perfect Dark. Um, mm-hmm. So I talk to him, you know, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we kind of have some ideas on things that are going on, but we're, you know, just like any company, right? Like you're focused on your job day to day and focused on doing the best that you can do on what you need to, to do. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you learn about other stuff as it's happening, right? Like we're not, uh, it, it's not an, like there, it's not an internal gossip mill or anything like that. You know, gotcha. it's just, we, it's, it's good for any employee of any company to know what's going on in all areas of their company, because mm-hmm. you understand the structure better. You understand like, like trying to gather wins from, you know, from other IPs and other, you know, games that are being made. And, you know, people in perfect dark are definitely listening to like, or, or, or trying to learn from the other studios that crystal has worked or the other IPs that crystal has worked on other games that crystal's worked on to, to make perfect dark the best mm-hmm. game that it can be. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's always discussions. It's not like it's not super isolated silos or anything like that. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Good to know. That's it, it was a tough question. I wasn't sure how to ask it. It's just been such a tumultuous week on that front. Um, let's let's get to some listener questions. We have we had a bunch of people write in, and you've actually answered quite a few of their questions, which was really cool for me. Nugget Rise wrote in asking for advice on switching careers, and you you covered that really well in, in the beginning there. So, Nugget, thank you for your question. Famous Seamus, thank you for yours as well. Um, my boy Hyruler, uh, content creator for, for Marvel's Avengers, he was curious about the planning that goes into heroes and villains and how you guys at Crystal are able to kind of navigate that. And you touched on it a bit in talking about how things go through like a review process for with Marvel and then uh, spitting things out. And you've mentioned that different teams will have some overlap. So the total amount of time working on a hero or villain might seem like it's eight months, but it's not an eight month start to finish type thing yeah. because of skill sets. Could you talk about like how pipelines work uh, for content? Sure. Um, they're always different. <laughs> uh, oh okay like, easy easy yeah yeah they're never the same they're always different um it's it all you know what's the best way to describe it we're always learning right mm-hmm. and so um we are in a, in a game like avengers where it may seem like set up a, a production line right set up a factory line where you know you can you know, these, you know, you start concepting out of here and, and these in the first couple, and these are all fake numbers. So please don't take them to heart. Like, you know, the first two months is, um, concepting both on design concept and on, uh, art concept. And then the next, you know, three months is, is based off of, um, full design and iteration and building. And then the last three months are, I think that maps out to eight if we're using that eight month number. Um, the last three months is on iteration, bug fixing and polishing, right? Let's say mm-hmm. that's, that's what it looks like. It's never, it's never that it's never that because there are always things that happen um, in let's in that period, right? Like mm-hmm. ideally when the people who are doing the, the uh, concepting um, 
they're also going to overlap into actually doing the design and implementation. The art concept people will not have to, and then they'll have to roll on to something else, but design, there will be overlap. And the same thing with like the iteration and polish and everything. Those same people are involved in that. Now, you'll, if you're trying to do multiple at the same time, like different people from the same teams will be, you know, like you'll have someone who owns this hero versus someone who owns the other hero, but they're in the same kind of, kind of role. Mm -hmm. um, but you'll have crazy stuff happen like, someone has to do jury duty, you know, or somebody has a baby, right. Or right. someone has COVID or someone's family member has COVID, right. um, things like that. And so real world things that matter. Yeah. So it, n nothing is ever super predictable like that. And so you, you have to be able to kind of roll with the punches and, you know, or, you know, someone decides to take a different job somewhere, whether it's on at crystal or, or somebody else. Um, and then you have to onboard somebody or, or transfer resources around. Like you can never a hundred percent just standardize everything that way. And so that's why sometimes we're able to, to, you know, put some content out in some amount of time. Sometimes it takes longer. It's just, you know, it, life happens. Um, mm -hmm. And you want to build in as much flexibility as you can to that at any, at any studio, right? Like, right. Or at any job um, you want to build that type of flexibility and, um, and kind of, I guess versatility it really is the, the, the word I should use and like making sure that you bend, don't break. Um, and you can, and roll with those things. But, um, you know, sometimes you're more successful about it than, than not. And, mm -hmm. um, and you just keep learning from it. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's a learning experience and you, you try to plan for as much as you can. Production always tries to, to plan everything down to the, you know, crossing the I's and, and dotting the T's. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's nothing ever, you know, your, your battle plan doesn't survive uh, the first shot, first shot with the enemy, you know? And so yeah. you got, yeah. you got to adapt. And so you learn and you just keep, you keep rolling with it and you try to get into a pattern that is more predictable. Um, which is kind of like, and I've talked about this on Twitter this week. Um, that's one of the things cause people keep asking about our roadmap, and one I've heard things... rumors of this. I've heard rumors <laughs> yeah. of that. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, in my, the new role that I have now, I'm gameplay and systems lead, which means I'm kind of oversee all aspects of game design. Um, well, oh, oh, wait, hold. when was that implemented? When was, when, was that? When did I, um, right around the time that, um, uh, 2.2 launched Spider-Man and the raid, I started okay. rolling and I started transitioning into that role. I had um, noticed a, a different level of communication at various yeah. points. And so that's, that's why yeah. that was the premise of my asking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when that's one of the things going back to what I said about like, you know, December is a hard month <laughs> for any mm -hmm. studio because like, you know, people like to spend time with their families over the holidays. And then, you know, we get back in January and, you know, we, we were most of December was spent um, with, you know, people taking time off and resting and relaxing in the studio closing for a couple of weeks to, to let people relax because, you know, after Wakanda, which was a huge effort and, um, and with Spider-Man and the raid, like we just had people who had, who had been working nonstop for, you know, some people had been working nonstop since before the game had launched. Right. And it just needed time. So, um, you know, it was, um, you know, I rolled in, I took over this new role, um, through December and, you know, helped triage kind of, you know, a lot of the launch issues that we had for T2. And then in January, we started 
planning for what 2022 is going to look like. We had some things in development, which I can't really talk about, that we knew that we were going to release in 2022 that we got started already, um, mm-hmm. but also wanted to say, okay, what does the rest of the roadmap look like? Mm-hmm. And rather than just slapping together a roadmap and being like, here are these cool, sexy things that we want to release this year. Aren't you guys excited about this? Which, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people and a lot of studios do, like in my role and almost to my detriment probably, I was very cautious about doing that because I want to make sure that what we put out in a roadmap is achievable and we're not putting things out there and then we're like, Oh no, just kidding. This is now moved out of active development into something else because, you know, players want to have that, that kind of predictability, right? Um, Mm -hmm. They want to know what's, what's coming and knowing how to to plan their time and, and, and what they play. And so we're taking a longer look, not just at like what we want to release, but, how how we build our content um and what that looks like long term because if you look at the history of avengers from um from launch until now like we haven't released another version of any of our content right each piece Mm -hmm. of our each content piece that we've released each hero that we've released has been its own special thing um, rather than saying, okay, this mode works really well for us. Let's do another one of these. Or, you know, this type of hero works really well for us. Like people have been kicking around echoes or, or, or you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that we want to look into to help speed up the development process? Obviously, because doing something like an echo um, would take less time than creating a brand new bespoke hero from with everything from scratch. So mm-hmm. um, so we're, we're, we're spending more time investing in that process. Um, so we can build content more a predictably b economically and c hopefully faster um so that you know we we know what it's going to take to build this piece of content from beginning to end because we've done something else like it previously rather Mm -hmm. than well this is something brand new and we don't know what it's going to take to get it from from soup to nuts so we're going to take our best shot like service games rely on predictability um, mm-hmm. And they become the most successful that they can be when things are as predictable as possible. Um, and so that also takes into account things like what I was talking about with outsourcers, right? Like mm-hmm. if you can create more predictable content beats, um, you can help leverage outsourcers to do that because mm-hmm. you're not always blazing new territory with each thing. Now, that's not to say that we won't blaze new territory with like a different hero or, or a new mode or something down the line, mm-hmm. but that shouldn't be the case all the time. Um, that way, just kind of makes everybody go crazy so okay. that's that's why things like this are taking longer because we're having these these discussions internally um and and asking okay so if we're going to go this route and we you know create content in this way versus that way what resources do we need do we have those resources if not can we afford to get those resources if not can we leverage outsources to get to do that same task that those resources would do at a cheaper rate mm-hmm. at the quality level that we expect right so it all becomes much more when it, when you start at the top with roadmap when it, it all, all this stuff kind of boils down to to all of these different kind of teeny tiny minute questions um that you that we have to answer before we're you know we want to talk about what those what those plans are officially because we want to be able to to talk about those things with with confidence so mm-hmm. it's it's a uh, this is my my first time in a in like i've been part of of roadmap discussions on other games and other titles and stuff before but this is the first time that i've ever been in this kind of role doing it where Mm -hmm. where like um a lot of that uh 
ask a lot of the asks on that stuff are, are coming to me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm saying like, what should we do? You know, how should we do this? And so it's, it's a definitely a learning experience for me too. And I want to make sure that we do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to, like, I don't want to screw it up. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a huge process. <laughs> it's, it's neat. It's interesting. It's heartening. It's disheartening. It's, it's just, it's cool to hear. I think the perspective of someone that came into a project that was well-established with a well-known IP that had fan expectations and to see that the trials, tribulations and the way you guys are handling that uh, kind of as, and learning as you go is I think really neat. And I'm thinking about like outward looking in what players think is happening versus what is happening. And then kind of the in-between of all of that. It's, it's, it's just, it's interesting, I guess is, is the way to put it. Yeah. Um, and I put, I put a lot of pressure on it too on myself because just like I was with, with Marvel heroes, I was a fan of this game before I ever worked on it. And I still like up until the last couple of weeks where I've had like this weird nerve thing in my neck and arm and hand, which has made it really hard for me to like play any games. Like I rated twice a week in this game, you know, mm-hmm. like I, you know, I, I play, I play Avengers, like, yeah, you know, at least 20 hours a week on my own time. Like it's, I'm, I'm really invested in the game and I'm really invested in, and and why i like it and i'm invested in why other people like it and i want to make sure that we continue to do those things because i i have a huge belief in this product in the team and and in the ip and um and i want it i really want it to succeed and so there's a lot of sleepless nights because i put a lot of pressure on that stuff on, on myself just to make sure that um that we're doing everything possible that we can to make this the best it can be I think that is a, a perfect punctuation point on an interview that I, I've so much enjoyed. I mean, I could go on forever, Brian. I would ask I have <laughs> thousands of things, but I really appreciate you My pleasure. Uh, taking the time and sharing your insight on, on both your career and your industry. Um, please take a moment to plug both personal and professional outlets, because as you, to your point, you do stream and you do play games and, and oh. uh, interact with fans. So please let people know where they can find you uh, and, and experience more of your work. Yeah, um, I mean, really, the best place is just Twitter um, at Hey, it's Bwags, um, and then anything else I do anywhere, I, I will put on there. So that's really kind of the focus for anything I, any sort of blathering I do about game design or my job or sports or movies or comics or anything is there. And um, and then yeah, when I do ha- when I'm able to stream, um, I always make sure to put it there too. So. Well, Brian Wagner of Crystal Dynamics, uh, thank you for joining me. And listeners, stick around. We've got the news from the week and, and your listener questions coming up in the next segment. Brian, thank you for joining me, man. Hey, thanks. Welcome back to the show, guys. So great to get to chat with Brian Wagner, a name that I have been chasing on the interview space for some time. So it's an absolute pleasure for me to get to have you guys talk talk to someone with his industry experience, both working at Crystal Dynamics and on major IPs like Marvel Avengers. I mean, that's a billion dollar franchise. That's got to be pretty wild to think that he's impacting a game space for that. Uh, and I should note that if all schedules hold, mind you, that is kicking off a slew of interviews 
that I've been setting up over the past few weeks. Uh, we have Brian Wagner coming up. There is a print interview going up over on Season Gaming's website with uh, the Trek to, to Yomi creator, which I'm really excited for you guys to check out. That'll be going up the day after this episode airs. So look for that on SeasonGaming.com. Uh, and then I have a few more names that are all listener requested. People have been requesting for me to speak to different voices, and some of them have been on hold partially due to my health, partially due to world events and the schedules of these different developers, GDC, of course, being next week and the launching of various game projects. But it looks like if the schedule holds, I'll have a string of interviews uh, after kind of a month off to kind of rest and recuperate. I'm really excited for you guys to check them out. And, uh, you know, with XCP being a solo show, every time I see people check out the show and request that somebody come on, uh, I'm really excited for that. Uh, let's transition a bit to the news, noting that we have turmoil within the gaming space, particularly in the Xbox realm, as Moon Studios and The Initiative are both in the news for uh, relatively negative reasons. Now, Moon Studios is the first one we're going to start with. They are the developers of Ori and the Will of the Wisps and Ori and the Blind Forest. Seemingly, according to a couple different reporting places, uh, Moon Studios is a fairly toxic place to work due in large part to the, to the developers, uh, two kind of heads of the studio. And, and that's kind of a bummer. I remind you that we had uh, Jeremy Gritton on the show. He is not the one that is listed uh, as being kind of the culprit of this toxic culture. In fact, if anything, it looks like from the outside looking in at this point in time, he may have uh, fallen prey to this as well. But it sounds like current and former developers are accusing Moon Studio founders Thomas Mahler and Jenity uh, Carole of building a toxic workplace environment. Now, I remind you that Ori in the Blind Forest, Ori in the Will of the Wisps, two of some of the highly rated games uh, of the last 10 years, Metroidvanias, beautiful, amazing. And it seems to be that they're using the clout that that near-perfect game can be to justify creating toxic work environments. And we've seen a number of people come out uh, in saying that it's been a very difficult place to work, that uh, the two founders, uh, Mahler and Carole, are, are very negative people going after different uh, different developers within their studios, justifying their treatment of their team with the quality of the games that they produce. This is not unlike kind of what we saw with The Last of Us developers, with Naughty Dog and some of the things we heard about crunch culture there. Now, interesting things to note before we go into a listener question here. Moon Studios is a remote studio, meaning that people work around the world remotely, and so they're communicating from their homes. Uh, this was pre-pandemic that they were a remote studio. And still we have people coming out and, and uh, not just complaining, but opening up with accusations of mistreatment uh, and negativity. And it seems, according to a couple different outlets, including Jeff Grubb, that this might have cost that this might have cost Moon Studios a first party deal with Microsoft. This might have been why Microsoft did not acquire Moon Studios, as so many of us, including myself, were stating would be a great fit. Outwards, outward looking in, it, it was like, yo, this is a perfect setup. They're making great games. They're making games exclusively for your platform and their launch. Why not pull them in? It seems that this might have been a factor for it with more news to come out, I'm sure, to kind of expand our knowledge. But based on what we know now, that's probably a good dodge for Microsoft, who's dealing with their own level of insecurities with uh, the initiative, Perfect Dark's developers, which we'll talk about in just a bit, uh, discussions in, rela in relationships with Crystal Dynamics, and then, of course, now with Moon Studios and their acquisition of Activision Blizzard is going to bring in a number of things that they're going to have to handle. So Microsoft's plate is full. I want to note once again that we did have Jeremy Gritton on the show to talk about Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you can go back and listen to that episode and... 
to me, that was a great interview. I really enjoyed that interview. I thought that Jeremy was great in, in elaborating on different things. And because uh, these accusations are so heavy, his name has not been mentioned once. In fact, the the names of the negative developers within Moon seem to be strictly based on Thomas Mahler and Jenity Carroll. I have reached out to one of the victims of this that have went public on Twitter with DMs open, and I requested if she'd be willing to come on the show and elaborate. I don't know if she would be because I don't want – I mean, I, and you have to imagine that's a very difficult thing to do to put your story out there right for anyone and everyone to come in and attack you, offer critiques, offer uh, sadly trolling hate mail kind of things. And so I don't know that she would be willing or want to join me for an audio interview, but I did extend that invitation based on the request of Chris Parks, uh, uh, an avid listener of XCP. And I think it'd be a great voice to have to talk about kind of this industry culture concern, right? That's something that we consistently try to reference uh, and improve within our gaming culture. But we'll see if that happens. I don't want to put her on under any any due stress that she's not willing to tackle for the sake of, of exposure there. Uh, exposing people, not exposure for herself, but exposing the negativity to try and make amends, I mean. Uh, but we'll see what happens with Moon Studios. Really heartbreaking to find out. It's kind of like if we were to find out that Cuphead developers studio MDHR was really hostile within their own studio, they're all family, so it might be a little bit apples and oranges there. But nonetheless, it's a bummer because Ori and the Will of the Wisps is one of my favorite games of the past generation. And it's an absolute game that you should all play without a doubt. I think you should play it. But it's another example of toxic workplace culture being impacted by a number of different people. Now, Famous Seamus writes in, end quote. Famous Seamus, always with the good questions, always with the... I would argue aware questions like being conscious of, of the people within the games industry. Does it make me concerned? Absolutely. This is something I think is ongoing and we're seeing a lot of different elements of this concern within the gaming industry and the way that fan bases treat each other, the way that fan bases treat developers, that developers respond with the, with each other and go after uh, other studios, Elden Ring and Ubisoft kind of, kind of an example with the UI debates a few weeks ago. Uh, you've got a lot of discussion surrounding the Hogwarts game, which was, it had a great showcase at the PlayStation State of Play. The game looks like it's going to be incredible. And of course, Harry Potter is a, is a tumultuous discussion point because J.K. Rowling has uh, very public thoughts about how she treats trans people or believes that trans people exist. Interesting to note that if you didn't acknowledge a lot of the trans elements, she's a very moral person outside of that, which makes the issue all the more complicated. And that has brought up a number of different elements of should you buy, should you not? Uh, are you supporting, you know, hostility or are you supporting great developers trying to make a great game uh, with with different levels of acknowledgement within the industry that's with the hogwarts game you make the same choice if you're buying an activision game knowing what they put the call of duty developers through you make the same choice with any game even more complex and fascinating famous Seamus, is that you've got journalists out there taking stances imran khan uh, and Rebecca Valentine taking very strong stances against hogwarts greg miller making his own statement there you've got different people siding on different sides of this line in which to my way of thinking back to your question of what i think about this uh, i think many of these issues from moon studios to legacy of hogwarts to activision and a lot of the things that microsoft is going to have to to work on culture wise there are not sides i do not believe that there is a black and white definitive yes or no answer to all of them i think in fact that binary thought forgive the pun i don't mean it uh, intentionally but that yes or no good and evil jedi sith absolutes that method of thinking is archaic and unhelpful. When it comes to Moon Studios, without a doubt, you should be 
supporting great developers and supporting the, the incredible artists and writers and people like Jeremy Gritton who came on the show, people like the the victim who came out, who I've, I've neglected saying her name. I hope that's not uh, meant to be or, or taken as a negative. I just don't want to put her under any more spotlight that she doesn't want to be under. But in a, it, you should play the game, in my opinion, to support them by the same token that is going to be supporting those who are negative within it. Uh, when it comes to people that are working with the Hogwarts elements, it's not a black and white issue of right and wrong. Great people are making that game. Without a doubt, people that disagree with J.K. Rowling are making that game. Where I get very frustrated is when fan bases try to weaponize one another to tell you that you are right or wrong. When Elden Ring players jumped in and said the UI is perfect and that Ubisoft was pure trash. Meanwhile, Ubisoft has a ton of options in their UI that can get very bogged down if you turn them all on, but you have options to turn them off. And that flexibility should be applauded, and there's a lot of good things to happen there. And then developers start weighing in on it and, and they start weaponizing one another instead of acknowledging this is great this could use improvement this is great we need to build better behaviors within studio cultures there um, it's just not a a black and white yes and no issue you think it would be you would want it to be you know a moral stance this is right this is wrong but the older i get and the more i experience and the more i try to educate children at school it's that so many things are based on context. So many things are circumstantial and so many things are based on the experiences of those around you. And that means to say that it's very complex and complicated and there's no easy out. So many people within the gaming industry and outside of it, they want silver bullets and solutions to problems. They wait for Superman to come in and fix it. They wait for the hero to swing it on webs and say, this is how I'm fixing this. And that's just not realistic. And with the games industry, you're going to need places uh, like people make games video about toxic culture within studios. You need people like Osama Dorius, who's been on the show coming out and saying, Hey, this sucks. My heart is breaking for you. This is what I've experienced. You want those voices to be vocal and you want them to be willing to correct themselves publicly. I'm surprised. A good example of this is I watched, you know, Imran Khan and, and Rebecca Valentine, two people who I think are, are extremely talented. Rebecca has been on the show. I look up to her greatly making very strong stances about Hogwarts legacy in very well-worded statements, mind you. But the companies they work for are owned by Tencent, who is guilty of their own levels of atrocities. Many of these journalists are tweeting from or using technologies made by, by uh, Apple. And Apple, of course, has their own inhumane uh, processes and doctrines. And so we seem a bit hypocritical when you zoom out, but so far. And you have to choose at where your Zoom is. Are you going to tackle this one issue in this moment and ignore the possible hypocrisies you're creating in saying some of these things? Are you going to Zoom all the way out and try to tackle it all at once? To me, that's too big a job. And so to get down to the nitty gritty, your question about what I think and do I worry about the games industry? Yes, I worry about the games industry, sure. But every day, I do my best to be a good person. There are things that don't bother me about other people, some of their moral stances, some of their political stances, some of their attitudes and and takes on, on any number of very serious issues that affect the people creating games from, from elements of war, Ukraine and Russia, to you know gender identity, gender preference, to the allowances and not allowances of different people to be who they are and express their love in various ways. I do worry about that. I don't agree with all of those things. Venture to say if I went down and sat with the different creators of my favorite characters in life, like Superman or Batman or Spider-Man, if I sat down with all of them and asked all the questions that we're being faced with and asked to answer, I disagree with them greatly. 
on a number of things. I'd agree with them greatly on a number of things, but their creations have served to inspire me to be better. So I do worry about the games industry, Famous Seamus, but I don't worry about it any more than I worry about life and the things that I can control. And at the end of the day, I try to be good to people. I try to be the best person I can be knowing I have flaws. I buy the games I want to play. If something bothers me greatly, for example, Call of Duty's uh, handling last year and Activision, I abstain from purchasing, but I do not attack or lament anybody that does buy it and support the game. Anyone that wants to play Hogwarts or, the, or Ori or any of these other games that are affected, I think they should. And I think they shouldn't. And they should be able to express themselves without being attacked. Um, so I hope that's not an overly winded, preachy answer, but it was a good question. And it's one that's worth asking for sure. Let's transition away from Moon Studios into another Xbox-relevant topic, and this more specifically dealing with a first-party studio in The Initiative. The Initiative, of course, Perfect Dark Developers. They have brought in Crystal Dynamics to help them with the, pro- with, with the programming and work with Perfect Dark, uh, given that the team is, is struggling with a couple of different aspects of development, which is largely, as according to a report by VGC, due in part to Fast and Furious exits from the studio based on the working conditions and culture. Uh, It looks like Dan Neuberger has left the initiative. He was the game director, and he was there for nearly four years. His LinkedIn profile was updated to open to work immediately as game director, design director, or creative director for another project. Mind you, he worked on Tomb uh, Tomb Raider games with Crystal Dynamics for the past 12 years before going to the initiative, which complicates it all that much more. Uh, and in, there are a number of other departures from the initiative that include lead level designer Chris O'Neill, principal world builder uh, Jolian Moore- Myers, and several other members of the core team. This is, again, according to a VGC report. Part of this bothers me in the sense that you are supposed to have people entering and exiting projects at various points. On the other side of it, you've got Halo Infinite, which has been struggling post-launch. You've got the initiative, which seems delayed. You've got a number of other first-party elements that are not currently publicly produced. We don't know where Hellblade 2 is. We're not quite sure where State of Decay is in its development. You've got Avowed. You've got Everwild, which seems to be going through its own levels of reboots. And the question has to be asked, are Microsoft doing a good job at stewarding their studios? Some people are saying that Phil Spencer needs to be involved and put his hands in these things because they trust him. Others are, are noting that every time Microsoft meddles or works with a studio, uh, directly you get botched projects crackdown three uh you could argue the gears of war franchise though i don't i don't subscribe to that idea uh recore those kind of things i go back to what i said to famous famous no silver bullet here no perfect answer uh for my part i do think the initiative and maybe matt booty and and phil spencer no longer because of his his role but maybe microsoft does need to get in there and think all right why is crystal dynamics having to come in Why are we willing to bring in a studio of Crystal Dynamics caliber to work with this team? What's wrong with our our team that had that famous and terrible tagline quad A, which has has haunted them and will haunt them until launch? What's the problem here? And certainly questions need to be asked and asked in a way to avoid it. The other aspect of this, guys, and I take a big breath before I point it out because I think we're going to be pointing it out for a while, is that a year of development was lost when COVID first hit. By now, they should be working full on. There's no excuse at this point to not be working full steam. That first year, tumultuous, difficult, unsure. Mental health was was struggling for anyone and everyone throughout the world. Remote work may not have been set up for everyone. 
And that means that projects were delayed. And we're finally starting to see with the cancellation of E3's public event and likely digital event, with the EA plays canceling because they don't have enough to show, with a number of other shows that are seemingly absent. We're going to see indie games fill that void, but we're going to see a pretty light 2022, I think. Sony had some projects front load that could have launched last year, but they front loaded into 2022. You can expect a June launch of, of one or two AAA games from one of the first parties. Maybe it's Redfall, probably not. Uh, maybe it, it's a, an expansion to one of the Sony franchises, but you're going to have a light year in terms of AAA. Starfield looks like it's going to hold its date, but Redfall's nowhere to be seen. Gotham Knights finally got its release date. Maybe one or two other big ones, but we know Call of Duty's kind of going to do its thing and then be on hi- hiatus for a few years. You got to wonder what's going on with Battlefield. Uh, Avengers is going through a huge retooling and set for kind of a relaunch later this year. Uh, there's just a, a lot of changes that are coming about. And so, you know, it, it's an it's a big topic. And I, I feel like I kind of am touching on a couple different things quickly. And then all the more, you know, you've got Ukrainian studios or, or Ukrainian support studios that cannot and should not be asked to work on anything because for goodness sakes, their country is under fire. And so, there's a lot of elements that factor into this kind of stuff, but does Microsoft have an issue with first party? Yeah, I think so. I think they do. I don't think it's as widespread as everyone's pointing out. I think it could be a bit more specific and there's no silver bullet end all be all answer. They've also done some great things and we shouldn't we shouldn't ignore the good things that they're doing. We should also hold them accountable for what's uh, struggling about it. <laughs> ID at Xbox had its showcase, one that I was down on. I actually did not watch it, but apparently some good news did come out of it. My impressions, and based on a number of different reports, anecdotal and kind of from professional outlets, say that Andrea Renee did a great job in hosting. Shout out to her, big fan of her work. Uh, but we also saw a number of different games, including Trek to Yomi, which I remind you again, print interview over on Season Gaming, uh, launching on Tuesday, The I want to say it's the 22nd. Um, I, Tunic launched into Game Pass on that day on the announcement there, which was uh, they they had said they were not coming to Game Pass, canceled a tweet or deleted a tweet that said as much, and then now they're on Game Pass. That's great. Uh, a lot of accessibility questions in that game that has a cute silver fox that looks to be Zelda-like, and apparently it's very more Dark Souls from an isometric perspective. Think Death's Door kind of thing, and people wondering if this is the game they wanted it to be or not. Uh, for my part, I'm just glad. I'm just glad that ID at Xbox had a better showcase and that things are growing there. Let's get to a couple more questions there. But first, let me give a shout out to Stubbs Gaming. Stubbs messaged me the other day. He said he dropped a review of XCP over on Podchaser. That stuff means the world, man. Thank you so much for that. I think a good question to go on next would be coming from Court Lalonde. He writes in, uh, shout out to him as well. He says, what is a way that Xbox gained back some of the momentum that they had back going into 2022? Court, the, the simple answer is games. I mean, they need to launch games. They just had their own ID at Xbox showcases, which, which went fairly under the radar. Obviously, I wasn't too big on it, given that I didn't even watch it, and I'm an Xbox content creator. Uh, but you have to think, you know, Sony was destined to get the beginning of this this year. They had two big games launching uh, with Gran Turismo and Horizon. Elden Ring has kind of stolen a lot of the conversation piece. Microsoft just needs games to come out this year, and that doesn't seem to, to really going to be something that's going to happen on a big scale outside of Starfield and possibly Redfall, which for all the reasons I just talked about, um, their momentum, I think, is perhaps subsiding a bit in terms of news, given the negative reports that have come out with Moon Studios with the initiative, with the acquisition of Activision Blizzard bringing in a potential a lot of toxic culture. That said, they're still selling out systems. They're still doing a great job getting great games into Game Pass. I mean, 
Think about the indies that have gone into Game Pass in the last six months. You've got Hades, you got Death's Door, now Tunic. I mean, you've got the Ascent that's in there. That was a little bit further back. So many other great games within Game Pass. They just need to keep kind of pressing that and showing people the value that they, you get with these particular boxes. They've also got the Halo TV show and the Halo Season 2 stuff that's coming through, which if all the things that we are hearing about it hold, we're going to see a lot of good Xbox vibes once again. And really it'll come down to how they handle summer. I think summer is going to be a big telling point, but I was always expecting 2022 to be a fairly quiet year for Microsoft as they kind of gear up for what I think will be 2023 and off to the races. You know, the the pandemic really damaged a lot about the games industry's production rates and people were able to finish projects at varying states of development, but development slowed down and Microsoft's got a lot on their plate. They've got so many studios working on things, so many games we know about. I put together a list off the top of my head just before recording this of the games that I knew they were working on, the ones I know that they are working on real quick. And right now I know of Starfield, Redfall, Hellblade, Quake, Indiana Jones, Everwild, Perfect Dark, State of Decay 3, Avowed, Fable. You have a coalition game that is not named, but it's not Gears of War. You know that that there is another Halo project in the works. Um, actually, I don't know if that was public, but, but it is now. Uh, there are a couple other like little things that are rumored to be happening. And why not, right? Like they're, they're, I mean, you have the other in smaller projects like Project Mara that are happening. I think what we're going to see is 2023 be the, the big year for Microsoft and Sony as well, for the record. Uh, Spartacus is launching later this year and they're going to start kind of hitting a better cadence too. But it's going to, it took a long time for this industry to recover from the effects of the pandemic and development kind of in combination. And still they launched major games like Horizon, like Halo Infinite, like Forza, like Gran Turismo. Uh, they launched new consoles, which have been selling out like crazy. Microsoft did it with two consoles. They did it with services. You're seeing shows greenlit, shows put out that are related to our industry. And so I think some of the doom and gloom that I've mentioned a lot in this episode, there's still a lot of things to be happy and excited for, for sure. Uh, Todd Oxter writes in and says, to expand Game Pass to non-Xbox or PC players, could you see Xbox begin partnering with TV and device manufacturers to not to not include the app, but also an not only include an app, but also an Xbox controller? Maybe this they introduce a streaming tier that's only $6.99 to make it an entry point, uh, similar to the way that Disney Plus does it. By the way, I thought they could just replace Xbox Live Gold with Game Pass streaming. You get online play, you get Game Pass streaming at the same cost of Xbox Live, and you kill off an old service and introduce uh, Game Pass to more people. It's brilliant. Todd, I love your idea, man. I do think Xbox Live Gold needs to go away. They've actually called it, I mean, Xbox Live is now Xbox Network, but I refuse to ever call it that. Uh, I think you're, you're on to something there, including the Xbox controller with different devices, having a built-in app, be, letting it be $6.99 for streaming. That's cool. I think it's a good idea provided the technology holds. I found xCloud to be very playable and very good, uh, but I also don't have a big need for it if I'm playing at home. That said, you know, maybe more and more as TVs get better, faster, and the streaming get, technologies get better and faster, that could be a really good option for people. So I love your idea. I do know for a fact they're working on a streaming stick. I know that is a thing that they are working on. I mean, that's not just me that knows that. I know a bunch of other people have heard it, but like I have actually heard from sources, from people, uh, and, and you know, if I'm hearing the sources, it's out there. Cause I don't bump bellows with the best of the best kind of thing. Um, but it absolutely, they're working on a streaming stick. So we'll see how that goes. Edward Varnell writes in with piracy now being legal in Russia for the first time, who do you think will be affected the most and who will be the least? Um, 
Man, that's an interesting question. I think uh, piracy has always been an issue in the games industry. But when it comes to Russia, I don't think anyone's going to truly stress it uh, for the, for the time being, I think with bigger fish to fry kind of issues, um, DRM and anti-cheat have been a consistent thing that's been coming up in gaming. Uh, more and more we're seeing other manufacturers outside of just Xbox, but Sony now being affected by that greatly. Just what is your disc worth? Just what is your online connection demanding of you? And, you know, how much will they factor in location for that going forward? How much will they build in anti-piracy elements to their games it's a topic to which i think is is worth watching edward especially over the next year or so but i don't know a good answer for you it's probably a question better suited for like i i don't know digital foundry and and their connections with how technologies work on the back end of games uh but maybe not me i guess i guess but i do appreciate the question man thank you so much all right, guys, that's going to be it for me. I've got a couple indie reviews that I'm working on. Not reviews, but like impressions that I'm working on. I've got some cool stuff going up on Season Gaming. A bunch of interviews on the way for XCP over the next few weeks. I hope you guys enjoy them. Uh, shout out to so many of you who are listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Brian Wagner. That's it for me. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care.